0: I don't believe that we should make an idol out of faith. Like, I don't really believe we need to say, Lord, I need more faith. Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which was a very small seed. So we don't need to have great faith. We need to have faith in a great God. And that is not like a cute saying. That's just like reality. That really, we don't need to say, Lord, give me more faith. But it's, Lord, give me faith in your greatness.
1: Do you think God is big enough for anything that happens in your life? Today, you'll see that the Israelites were on the cusp of entering the Promised Land. It was a time of big unknowns. They knew that battles were in their future. They had a lot to be scared of, but they were able to step into the inheritance that God had for them because they knew He was on their side. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that it's not about having great faith, but faith in a great God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 3 as he begins his message, crossing over. Jesus
0: is All right, everyone, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, as we continue this study through the book of Joshua, we're calling this first series in the book of Joshua Conquest because. All of the hopes and dreams of the children of Israel since the time of Abraham are coming into fulfillment in the beginning section of the book of Joshua. We're going to see this great climactic event in the book of Joshua, the crossing over of the Jordan River. You have to realize that this is the big event. Sure, there's all sorts of battles that need to take place after they cross over, but the children of Israel for the very first time are going to be walking in the inheritance that God had promised them all the way back in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what's important about this, I think for us, is that we have to remember that In order for us to experience God's inheritance, we have a part to play. And what you learn if you read your Bible is that the part that we play is, in comparison, quite small, but it's not inconsequential. See, what the children of Israel bring to them experiencing the inheritance that God wants to give them is they trust that God is going to do what he said, It sounds simple, right? But it's not simple because each one of us in the lives and the situations we find ourselves in, we have to choose, am I going to trust God? If God says that this is what he wants to do, am I going to believe that and step out in that? Or am I going to say, you know, I don't think that's possible. Like God, it's all great that that's what you said you're going to do, but I don't really believe that you're going to do it. Because for the children of Israel, what was going on was that some 38 years earlier, God said, I'm delivering you from Egypt. I'm sending you to the promised land. And they didn't trust him. They didn't take him at his word. And that now delays what God was planning on doing the whole time anyway. And I think that's an important part because I don't believe that we should make an idol out of faith. Like, I don't really believe we need to say, Lord, I need more faith. Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which was a very small seed. So we don't need to have great faith. We need to have faith in a great God. And that is not like a cute saying. That's just like reality. That really, we don't need to say, Lord, give me more faith. But it's, Lord, give me faith in your greatness. That you can do anything. That you have a plan and a purpose. And that when you say, I want to do something, instead of us saying, well, Lord, you know, we, you need us to be your advisors on this thing. Because you don't really know what's going on. And, you know, there's be all these things going on. We just say, Lord, okay, let it be according to your word. And we step out. I think one of the biggest lessons that I am constantly learning is my only job is to step out in faith. That's my only job. When God says, this is what I want to do, we just say, okay, Lord, is what I'm going to do. That simple stepping out in faith. But what's beautiful is in this message, we see that it's time for the children of Israel to step into the inheritance that God has for them. So picking up verse one, Joshua chapter three, it says this, then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they went up so they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So right away, we find that Joshua is a, a man of action. It's one of the things that we love so much about who Joshua is. See, the, remember, in chapter 2, he sent out these two spies, and these two spies went on out, and they came on back, and they said, listen, God has given us great favor. The people of Jericho are already scared. Joshua hears the report and said, okay, time to go. And I love that. We call this simply responding to Jesus here at Crossroads. That is like, okay, let's go do it. And what's beautiful about it is because Joshua was a man of action, notice he rose up early in the morning. Now, I don't want you to miss this because I don't want to overstate the text, but the fact that Joshua was a man who got up early in the morning, I think is important. I always think of a quote that I heard by Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England. He's known as the prince of preachers or English preachers. If you've ever read Spurgeon's sermons, he's really quite extraordinary in his eloquence. And I'm going to butcher the quote because he's eloquent and I'm me. And so I don't do eloquent. You guys know this, but I enjoy Spurgeon's eloquence. And he said, in effect, I will not look into the eyes of any other man before I first look into the eyes of God. His thing is that if I don't seek God first thing If I don't connect with God And pray and get myself centered on who the Lord is I don't want to see anybody else I think that's important Because what you're doing when you're doing life that way Is you're saying I want to make sure that my eyes are on Jesus Before they're on anything else Now I realize not everyone's a morning person And God knows I am not a morning person you know, but what I've learned is that if I don't get my devotional time personally in the beginning of the day, oftentimes the day gets away from me. Am I the only one who's like that? It's just like if I don't get it done in the morning, the chances of me getting to it later aren't as strong at all. And I want to connect with the Lord. So Joshua's up early. And it says that they set on out from Acacia Grove. Now, for those of you who read the King James Bible, it said they set on out from Shittim. And that's why you know it's Acacia Grove now. Anyway, it's coming. You'll get it. You'll get it later. So never mind. I'm just going to move past that. I'm just reading you the Bible. So what happens is is they come to this area and now they're right on the edge of the Jordan River. Like they're right there. And sure enough, it says in verse two, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. So they moved from where they were and they spent three days there. Now someone is bound to say, you know, what's the significance of the three days? Because if you think about your Bible, obviously Jesus died and he was buried for three days. There's lots of three days. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. And so I don't want to overstate the three days, but I think if you're one of those people who like to track down ideas in the Bible, do an exhausted Bible search on three days and see what you come up with. Because the Bible's amazing that way. I've been joking here lately, you know, if you think the Bible's boring, you're wrong, you're boring, you know? Because the Bible's pretty awesome and it's inexhaustible in what you can learn from it. And every time, and some of you are like, yeah, I do think the Bible's boring. No, you're boring. That's why I tell my kids all the time. When my kids say, dad, I'm bored. I said, no, you're boring. That's why you're bored. There's some infinite things to do. And I'm here, so we can have fun all day. You know what I mean? And so the idea is that if you're one of those people, and I really want to encourage you to have fun with the scriptures. I mean, it's God's word, but there's so much for us to learn in it. So look at three days. Look at all the different instances of three days and how it plays and why it plays that way. I don't want to overstate it. They could have traveled. They just needed a couple days just to rest. It could be something as simple as that. But I did think that the fact that it was for three days was important. Now, when that happens, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So the idea here is that Ark of the Covenant is one of the most prominent features of the next two chapters. Because the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, if you were with us back when we studied the book of Exodus from chapter 20 and following, you know, you find that the Ark of the Covenant was a piece of furniture. It was a box that had poles on it. It was completely overlaid with gold right? And in that ark went the two tablets of the law and went Aaron's rod that budded to prove that he was God's chosen priest. In it went a little jar with the manna. So they saved some Twinkies for the promised land. Just, but you know what I mean? Sorry. I can't resist anyway. And they had that jar and then they had that covering, which was called the mercy seat. Right, And then there was these two cherubim That were facing one another That their wings were touching over it And it was meant to be the sign For the children of Israel Of the very presence of God Now within the tabernacle That mobile worship tent that they had That ended up giving way to the temple At the time of Solomon It sat what was called behind the veil In the Holy of Holies And the only person who ever got to go in Once it got stationed in Jerusalem Was the high priest once a year with that blood offering. First, he made atonement for himself and then for the people. Now, the reason I tell you all this is because everything about the Ark of the Covenant points to Jesus. Because Jesus is the visible presence of God in the midst of the people. How do I know? Well, listen. So what's beautiful about this is that the Ark of the Covenant, what was inside of it? The law, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the only person who ever kept the law. Aaron's butted rod. Why? Because people didn't believe that Aaron was God's chosen priest. And God said, when you put all your rods together in the tabernacle of meeting, which everyone buds overnight, that's the one I've chosen. Why? Because Jesus is the high priest who God has chosen. The manna was in there. Why was the manna in there? Well, simply because Jesus is the bread of life. And what's beautiful is all of that was covered up. All of this glory is covered up. And then you have these two angels overseeing it. And John's gospel is very powerful because at the death of Jesus, you got to imagine, so Jesus was brutalized on the cross, right? And then they wrapped him and they laid him on the slab. When they looked into the tomb that was empty, there was two angels sitting there. And you can imagine these two angels on either side with this blood-soaked slab. It's the most powerful picture of the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And you guys know, which is so powerful, that when Jesus died, that veil in the temple that separated the holy place where any priest could go from the holy of holies, that was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. All these details are so perfect. Why? Because God is saying, look, even though this was reserved for only the high priest with the blood sacrifice, now everyone can come. Everyone can come. So the Ark of the Covenant was designed for the children of Israel that until the Ark of the Covenant goes, they're not allowed to go. Why is that important? Because my friends, if Jesus is the Lord, you want him to lead your life. You don't want to lead your own life. And this is important because know what happens for all of us. Am I the only impatient person in the house? Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's right. Like we want to get things done. And so what happens is we have a tendency to run out ahead of the Lord. But they like no, until the Ark of the Covenant goes, until then, You have to wait. Why? Because we want Jesus to lead our lives. I'm always reminded of what it says in Romans chapter 8, where it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, or the sons and daughters of the children of God. And we do not want to lead. We want to be led. And the greatest leaders are those who are willing to be led by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you getting out ahead of Jesus today? Now, I know nobody ever wants to say, yeah, I am. But like, if we say, Lord, am I out ahead of you? We don't want to lag behind him either. We want to walk as Jesus would have us walk. But until the Ark of the Covenant went, the people were meant to stay put. Why? Because God wants to make sure he's leading this processional. Now, not only that, in verse four, we learn something really fascinating. He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So what we find here is that there's supposed to be, once the Ark of the Covenant goes, no one is supposed to get too close to it. Now, a cubit is not a unit of measure we use today. But since you'll find it all over your Bible, I'm going to explain it to you. A cubit was... This was long before they had rulers and metric and all these different things. So all of the different units of measure were often common things. So a cubit was the distance between the tip of your middle finger and the crook of your elbow. So it's about a foot and a half. So when you see 2,000 cubits, it's about 3,000 feet. So they're supposed to keep this distance. Why? There's probably a couple of reasons. First, notice that in the text it says do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for if you have not passed this way before. See what he's saying is that you don't know where you're going. You've never been here, but the Lord knows where he's taking you. So make sure you don't miss where God's taking you. This is why it's important not to get out ahead of the Lord to wait on him and say, Lord, I'm going to let you lead and I'm going to follow you. But also I think that there's this need for distance because I believe that God always wants to remind us of the sacredness of who he is and his holiness. See, they were not to have a casual or a careless intimacy with God, but they were meant to walk with a profound spirit of respect. Now, I think this is important because Jesus invites us not just to be servants, but to be friends. But we also have to remember who we're friends with. And I think that in our casual culture, it's become really common for people to talk about Jesus. Who's like, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. You ever see that little guy, the thumbs up. Some of you guys have that on your windshield. Now I think it's cute culturally, but Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So even though he's your friend, he's so much more than just your bro that you hang out with. Does that make sense? So we want to make sure that we experience all the intimacy And the deep friendship that we get to have. But we also realize who he is. You know, and it's funny. I'll give you a great example of this. So my dad is my dad, right? And so, you know, I'm 41. My dad's in his early 70s. And I remember when my dad first came to visit Crossroads, he's like, so do I have to call you pastor when I'm there? (laughs) And I started laughing. And I'm like, well, I am your pastor, you know. You know, I was talking about my gift of sarcasm. And so it was, you know, coming out and I remember, and I'm like, dad, no, it's like, I'm your son. But it was funny when he was here and he met people, he's like, well, you know, pastor Daniel's my son. And I remember hearing me, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) you know, and I, I I, I'm like, I heard you call me pastor Daniel. He's like, well, I realized that you're one of the pastors at Crossroads. And so I wanted to honor that office. But, you know, I still change your diapers, so I'm not going to call you pastor at all. You know, and it was just a great moment because there's an intimacy of relationship, but there is also the reality of who somebody is. And so you realize that oftentimes relationships exist in different spheres. And so we want to have the the deep friendship and intimacy. Like I've been thinking a lot about that where Jesus says, I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. When I read it, it really grabbed my heart because I started thinking to myself, when was the last time I heard someone say, I'm a friend of Jesus. Because it's one thing to be a follower of Jesus. It's another thing to be a friend of Jesus. And I started thinking, Jesus is like, no, I don't just call you servants. I call you friends. And so I'm like, do I consider myself a friend of Jesus? And it made me rethink the relationship a little bit. Because it's one thing to be a follower of Jesus. Another thing, yeah, I'm a friend of Jesus. And so in this case, they're meant to be reminded that God is the sovereign and holy creator and sustainer of all things and that there is a separation now obviously this is before jesus came and tore the veil and so the relationship exists a little bit differently as now we get to call ourselves children of god redeemed by the blood of jesus but that distance is important now and what's powerful is that joshua First, the commanders go, the captains and the officers went. And then in verse five, Joshua speaks, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. And that word sanctify literally means to be set apart as holy. You could use the word holy with an H H O L I F Y. I don't think that's a real word. I just made it up. But the idea is that word sanctified. It comes from the Latin word sanctus, which literally means to be set apart. And we have to realize that you and I, because of who Jesus has been set apart, set apart as distinct, as unique, as uncommon. I always use this example of this because I find it to be really powerful, especially as a parent of small kids. Some of you have fine dining china at your house, like the nice plates. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember someone was like, do you want china? I'm like, no. You know, cause I, what am I gonna do? I'm not a fine dining kind of guy. Just stick the food on. There. I don't care what it's on. I'll eat it off the table. Right? Anyway, <laughs> but it's like, so like if you're having like your six year olds birthday party, right? Do you serve pizza and hot dogs and cake on your fine China? Why not? Because it's fine China right? You give them the paper plate. Sometimes you get them with a little character on it or whatever. Why? Because you know that if you give them something nice, they're going to break it. And you don't want to ruin something that's special. In the same way, if you are a friend of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are set apart for a specific usage. That china is designed for special occasions, for special meals, not for the common things. And the problem is today is many of us don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves, I am not paper plates that get used once and tossed away. I am a son or daughter of God. And I'm set apart by him for very specific reasons. Not just to be normal. I am not normal because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why as the followers of Jesus, we live differently because we realize we are not common anymore. And he says, look, I want you to set yourself apart. Why? Because God is going to do wondrous things among you. When I read that, I started to think to myself, I wonder if many of us don't experience the wondrous things that God wants to do in our lives because we're not setting ourselves apart. We're not choosing to say, I'm just not going to be like everybody else. I'm not going to think about myself the way everyone else does. I'm going to let the Bible inform it. I'm going to let Jesus inform that in my life. And when you choose to set yourself apart, you end up like Moses who, instead of setting up his tent within the camp, everyone's within the camp and Moses is setting up outside the camp. But Jesus, the Lord is meeting himself, not inside the camp, but outside the camp. And everyone's watching the glory of God come over Moses' tent. And they're all being like, wow, but Moses is not where everyone else is. He's outside. And uh, what I want to encourage you is I want you to live your life set apart in the midst of this world. Because I believe that Jesus wants to Do a work in this generation unlike anything the world has ever seen. Why? Because we are one day closer to his return than we've ever been before. And I believe that unless we set ourselves apart, we will never be able to be in step with what he's doing. Too many of us want to think of ourselves as just like everybody else. And I'm here to tell you, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are completely set apart. But we have to live that way. We have to make decisions. To be different. We have to be willing to be ridiculed and maligned. We have to be willing to be thought of as weird in some ways. But God did tell us that we are his peculiar people.
1: Jesus is real. What a hopeful and life-giving call from Pastor Daniel. If you're a follower of God, you've been set apart. Because of Jesus, there's something different about you. You're special, unique in this broken, hurting world. And God is inviting you into the amazing things that he wants to do in and through you. But you have to live set apart to experience them. You need to choose to respond to him and live his way no matter what other people say. You have to go against the grain of the world and be different.
0: Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live.
1: that when God's people entered the land he promised them they would inhabit. You'll look at Joshua's leadership. You'll see that what made him a good leader was that he pointed the Israelites back to the Lord. He reinforced who God is, what he'd done, and all he'd promised them. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel, we'll continue teaching through this series called Conquest— Until then, may God bless.